Welcome to the MindBeat podcast by Effective School Solutions. I'm your host, Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm your co-host, Lane Whitaker, Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. The MindBeat podcast is the definitive source for all topics related to school-based mental health, from sharing best practices to highlighting innovative school districts to keeping track of legislation. MindBeat is the go-to source for educators and administrators looking to implement a mental health care continuum. Together, we can make a difference in school-based mental health care and in the lives of students, families, and educators. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mind Beat Podcast. We now enter season two. Season two, of we Mind made Beat it. after our uh, what would you call it, like a summer hiatus? Summer hiatus, yeah. I feel like yep. the word hiatus is not used enough. <laughs> sabbatical, yeah. Hiatus. Yeah, sabbatical. <laughs> what is it? Is every hiatus a sabbatical, but not every sabbatical is a hiatus, or is it the other way around? I would think it's the opposite. Yeah, right? I think yeah. Right. I think you're right. So, how you doing, Lincoln? I'm good. good. I'm really good. Yes. How good. about you? I'm doing great. How's your summer? I feel like I haven't seen you uh, in a. My in a summer hot was minute. busy. I was working a lot. Um, I actually, I felt like I worked more this summer than I have in a long time in terms of like traveling, going to different schools, had presentations. We started something new this year with um, administrative cohorts. So I was working with a lot of administrations over the summer when their staff is away. And uh, it was phenomenal. I have had such a great experience. So I didn't really get to take my vacation. I was I did get a lot of beach time, but I didn't take a vacation. However, it was um, a really meaningful summer. Cool. So, That's great. Yeah. That's great. Do you have anything, anything planned? Any vacation kind of planned? Here I'm thinking for? so, you know, my sister lives in Maui. The yeah. wildfires were there. She's OK. Thank goodness. But I am thinking about going to see her in a little bit. Cool. Um, just wrap my arms around her and my niece and nephew. Uh, you know, it was really scary during that time. So I'd love to go, just go see them. Now he really wants visitors to come back, right? To help with the economy. And um, like I would think so. I mean, I, they didn't right after in the immediate aftermath, but I think that now they're like, come on back. I think they need some tourists now. I mean, that's a big part of their economy. Um, so I'm happy to help. Got it. <laughs> I'm happy to help. How do you feel about the uh, beginning of the Philadelphia Eagles football season? It's off to a good start. It was a little rough there that second yeah, game on yeah, Thursday. Yeah. We kind of eked it out. Yeah. Um, I think Philadelphians are one of the few fans who are like, um, you know, we won the game. We're still like bitter about it. Like, <laughs> I think that's very true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we're still pissed off. Yeah, like, that should some, have been a much better win than that was. <laughs> yeah, left some meat on the bone, right? So, lot, lots of things to work on. But, uh, sure. you know, but I feel good. I feel yeah. good about it. So, again, as with every kind of my beat episode, there's going to be like what X number of weeks before this airs. So, we could be, mm-hmm. we could, we're two and zero oh now. We could be five and zero. Oh, we could be two and three. I don't even want to say that out loud, but you know, we'll. we'll see I've, I'm not. I learned from last season. I'm not going to, <laughs> to make any predictions. I'm just going to write it out and hope for the best i think we should I, work I, out well for me last year. i think when it comes to sports we should like record like two separate types of things we'd be like i'm really excited that the eagles won today and then another right. one that's be like i'm really obsessed that the eagles lost today right so Have, yeah I, okay i okay. could do that yeah, yeah. i could get into that a little, little choose your own adventure type of uh did you did you ever do choose your own adventure you wrote those books the books i did in like third grade yeah they had like depending on what option you chose the book oh, went yeah. in a whole other direction yeah. they were cool it's the best you know i was just having a conversation with somebody about how like you know i'm i was born in 79 some of the 80s childhood 90s teenage years and we had the best toys in the 80s like the toys today are just terrible i was talking about like fashion plates i don't know if you remember that like fashion plates were where they were like etched uh, fashion etched into these little panels and you put them in a little like um 
I don't know, like a board and you, it's sort of like Braille. <laughs> you put on a piece of paper on it and a crayon and, and rub it. And now you have this woman in an outfit and you can change out the tops and the pants and color them in. I used to love fashion plates. Um, I just think about like baby alive and the easy bake oven. Like we just had really fun stuff. I feel like now kids don't have to use their imagination. I'm, I'm, I'm on a big kick right now. I've been having this conversation with folks lately that I think the eighties are like the universal decade. I just yeah. think, I think if you think about our pop culture today mm -hmm. and you think about about how much of it actually comes from the 80s, from the 80s music yeah. wise. I think yeah. it's incredible. I think, yeah. I think objectively, and I'm not yeah. just saying this because I grew up in the 80s. I think 80s <laughs> has, and I am a, I'm a bias source, but, but I do feel like a lot of the, the, the music, it's kind of user friendly. Yeah. It's kind of, it's fun. I do think the games yeah. are big. I was at like a, like a, um, like a full size video game arcade mm -hmm. with my daughter a couple months ago. That was they, Nintendo they, came out in the 80s. And they had yeah. a life size Hungry Hungry Hippos game where you actually you actually <laughs> yes. sit on it and you kind of like it's you know you're like sitting on the hippo. It's not like a, it's a it's a I life size type of thing. I saw a meme about that the other day on social media where it was uh, the Operation game. Remember Operation? Oh, and it was I, I, it's, it's sitting on my counter at home right now. We literally were having a renaissance. The note above it was like this is this is the root of my anxiety right here. Like, you know, waiting for the buzzer to go off yeah. on the Operation game. It takes game. a very steady hand right so I, I see i remember the commercials i remember all the commercials so it was a great game and if you're listening that. to this and you're 20 and you're like who the hell are these mm -hmm. people these these like we need to go back and get some exposure then because our games were so much more fun <laughs> our toys were way better it just was it was a good era i agree, I agree. we had because we had an analog childhood we had a digital adulthood so we have yeah. all the conveniences yeah, of you, technology as adults but, but we you had, had you had a lot of you had a little bit of digital you had like atari kind of entering the mix kind of back in the i 80s. missed atari atari had, it like, was around but i just didn't own it my my first video game was nintendo okay yes but okay. i do remember game so late, Boy late like, 80s late 80s would have been nintendo like 87 88 around right there right yeah okay. i think i was like in third grade so that would have made me eight like 89 yeah probably about 89 88 somewhere see i started off with the handheld Coleco Vision football, Coleco. <laughs> where literally like the, the the quote unquote players on the screen with these little like red dashes, like little red LED dashes, and they they kind of you know move across the screen and whatnot. And that was that was old. I school. even remember the old games. Like I used to love uh, Sim City, being a city planner. I love that. Oh my gosh, and that and I liked uh, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego sure. and like the Oregon Trail. Remember these? I see other people in here looking like yes, those were the good times. Um, we would turn on our computers like in first and second grade. You just had that turtle and you were doing computer programming. I didn't realize that until I was much older. We were doing, I don't know what language of it, C or whatever, basic. It had to be, or maybe it was basic. I think it might've been called basic. I don't remember. But you had to program and tell the turtle where to go. That was what we were doing in the 80s. Were you able to get the turtle to go in the right direction? Did it get to its destination? I was, he was able to do a few things. It wasn't great, but I do remember I was learning like more computer programming, which is not in any way my forte, but it was a, I was forced to in high school. We had to make a J. Crew catalog. That was really hard. You had to say, is it, is it crew neck? Is it? Cable knit? Is it? Do you want the chino pants? Did do you, you want the, your, all the options? Did you use your fashion plates as part of that? Was that like no, a? It inspired see, me. See, for how sure. I did that. I brought it full circle. Just kind of. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. All right. Well, I could talk about this all day, but we have uh, important topics to cover today. So why don't we jump into uh, our top three segment? Top three. Okay, so this week uh, or this episode, the top three is top three ways to start off your school year. So I decided to make two top threes, one for the point of view of teachers, how to start their school year off right, and another uh, for parents. So first for teachers, and I, um, I shared this message, I was very fortunate to be asked to be the convocation speaker 
um, for like five different uh, school year starts this year. So one of the messages I like to relay to teachers about having a good school year is first we have to reconnect to our why. I mean, teaching today is so challenging, especially as you know we talk about the um, the mental health pandemic that has followed COVID nineteen. And it's a really challenging time to be a teacher right now. So you really need to connect with your why. Remember what it is you're teaching for. Um, you know, you have to be passionate to be a teacher and passion is fueled by purpose. So reconnecting with that purpose, sharing that purpose with your students um, and they will remind you, they'll keep you in touch with that why. The next thing is relationship. Uh, as you start off the school year, I am constantly encouraging uh, teachers to just focus on relationship more than anything academic, um, more than any curriculum, to really focus on the fundamentals of building relationship. Once you have relationship, you will get cooperation. Um, you will have their trust, safety, and cooperation, which is important. And then they will feel safe enough to be curious, right? That, that's an essential piece of learning is I have to be curious. I can't be curious if I'm having any type of anxiety about my environment. Um, and then the next thing is connect to families and caregivers. Uh, I think that's just so important to get families and caregivers involved right away. One of the ways I recommend doing that is those positive phone calls home that parents aren't expecting. You know, we expect to hear bad things, but to call home when something great is happening and establish these really positive relationships with parents and caregivers. And then I want to shift over now to the top three for parents. So I would say um, the top three things for parents to help their kids get started off on the right school year is number one, just routines. Um, I think it's so important to have a really great bedtime routine, whether that's preparing for bath, stories, making sure their homework is put away in the backpack, everything's ready to go. Maybe you're making lunches the night before if you're not a morning person. Um, also, morning routines are very important. I think we put a lot of invest in, investment of time in uh, thinking about our bedtime routines and not as much as our morning routines. And that's how you start your day. So thinking about, you know, getting up earlier if I need to, to, to kind of get things together, um, having some type of mindfulness um, for parents to think about how they are, um, you know, what kind of self-care they're engaging in so that their interactions with their kids are really stellar in the morning and they can send their kids off having those um, essential needs for connection met before they get to school. And then, um, so routines are important. Also those uh, homework routines, if their kids are involved in extracurriculars or sports, getting those routines and homework down early so that you have a routine to rely on and it just makes everything flow better. Um, I would say organization. So for parents, you know, it's so nice now that these schools have websites and apps and power school and all these different ways to keep up with what's going on in your kid's school activities, school assignments. So make sure that you spend those first couple weeks getting organized, getting your passwords, getting uh, you know up on all of the, the technology that your school system offers, uh, just so you can be organized and that your kid is ready, prepared for whatever's coming up in the school year. And then trying to make contact with the teacher, you know, go to back to school night, um, try to go to any volunteer opportunities, just to really make contact with the school, to be visible, to um, keep abreast of things going on. So those are my top three for parents and teachers for having a good school year. I hope that helps. Good stuff. Thanks, Lynn. Excellent. All right. Well, let's get into uh, In the News. I have a news article I'll talk about today, which is entitled Youth with Suicide and Self-Injury-Related Emergencies Are Often Missed by Standard Hospital Identification Methods. And this is from the Brain and Behavior Research Foundation. They do kind of a, a, a weekly, monthly newsletter called E-News Brain and Behavior. 
Um, and so this is a, a description of a research study that came out of a large hospital system in Southern California. It was actually led by a uh, investigator named uh, Juliet Edgecombe, uh, MD, who is the associate director of the Mental Health and Data Science Hub at the University of California, Los Angeles. So what Juliet or Dr. Edgecombe did is she studied um, a data set from 600 emergency department visits for children, uh, children ages 10 to 17 over a four-year period. And what she basically noticed was that um, uh, instances of suicidal uh, ideation and kind of self-harm were being systematically under-identified. And the reason for that is that emergency rooms kind of rely on two different kind of data points uh, to determine whether or not a student is at risk. They rely on a diagnosed diagnostic code, which is assigned by kind of the, the, the doctor or nurse kind of upon ER check-in. And then they are also looking at what's called the patient's chief complaint. So the main mm. complaint that the, the the patient is, is kind of is, is talking about, but the patient may or may not be revealing kind of like the depths of their kind of concerns there. So what they basically found um, uh, in this data set was that diagnostic diagnostic codes alone were missing 29% of children presenting with self-injurious thoughts and behaviors. The chief complaint by itself was missing 54% mm. of, of such patients. And even when you were combining the two, you were missing 22% of children with thoughts or acts involving self-injury or suicide. So really, really kind of concerning. So what they actually did is they, they uh, used kind of a machine learning algorithm where they basically looked at those same student records and they looked at a much broader set of 84 kinds of different information so this included like prior medical care, medications, demographics, whether the child lived in a, in a disadvantaged uh, neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And they were able to determine statistically what was kind of the pattern or the set of kind of mm -hmm. fingerprints kind of in the data that might lead them to be able to more accurately determine whether or not a student was uh, experiencing self-injurious thoughts. And so they were able to significantly kind of improve the sensitivity of the detection uh, to, to the point where it actually was over-identifying. It was creating kind of false positives as opposed to false negatives. But the point I think they were making in the study is that it's probably better to create a situation where you have kind of like false positives than it right. is to create false negatives. You'd rather over-identify yeah. and then be error able to work with student error right. on the side of caution, mm -hmm. kind of, et cetera. So really interesting article. Uh, gets a little mm -hmm. bit kind of like technical, but pretty mm -hmm. easy to read. And we'll get this kind of posted up on the uh, mm -hmm. on the website. Good stuff. Yeah. So we're so happy to have three really great guests with us today. Our first is Megan Reynoso. Megan Reynoso is an LCSW and a clinician coordinator at a high school-based uh, mental health setting. She's worked in mental health for the past seven years in many settings in every age group from new mothers and babies to death, dying, and grieving. Her areas of focus have always been around youth and adolescents and mental health and crisis work. Next, we have Courtney Shuey. Courtney Shuey is a lead clinician in Tier 3 High School in a Pennsylvania school, providing services to 7th through 12th graders. She's an LPC who has been in the mental health field for over 20 years. She enjoys working in this field, being able to be a part of someone's journey for a better life, and recreating their narrative is very rewarding. She has worked in all areas of mental health with an extensive background in supervising trauma therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy. Our last guest is Jalen Washington. He is a marriage and family therapist and professional counselor from New Jersey. He's spoken at multiple conferences and trainings and worked with individuals in a variety of settings, including prisons, rehabilitation programs, schools, and community-based organizations. He is a writer, speaker, and activist for change in the community. 
By influencing positive recourse and safe handling of trauma, Jalen has worked for nearly a decade in this field after transitioning from teaching. He's a nurtured heart trainer and works to reverse the positions people have when speaking to or working with intense situations. Thank you so much for being here with all of us. Yeah, welcome everybody. So excited to have you here. And so the, these are these are three of the hundreds of incredible clinicians that we have kind of working out in schools. And we're just so thankful that you've taken time out of your busy days uh, to uh, spend a few minutes uh, chatting with us today. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Well, why don't we why don't we jump right in? And uh, Megan, I'd love to I'd love to start with with you. I mean, I think part of what we want to try to get at today with uh, kind of back to school is. What's going on with the mental health of our young people at this unique time uh, kind of in, in society, I think, in, in general? We're a couple years out from the uh, kind of worst of the, of the pandemic. Like, what would you really say is an overview of the current state of youth mental health? And what are you kind of seeing as the key challenges that young people kind of in general are facing right now? Anxiety is one of our biggest. And so it was like they were reentering and relearning everything all over again. Um, but that is anxiety is probably our strongest. Um, it's been great though, because there's this new awareness. I think that these people really got to focus in on like, oh, there's a need here. And mental health is very significant, not just for me, but for a lot of kids on campus. Um, and it really opened the door for us to like take a big step in and wrap everybody with services and really approach it in a new foundational way where it's no longer this um, stigma it's more of a very welcomed approach. People are excited to be able to approach it and provide support for it because they know about it. Got it. So it sounds like in some ways, kind of a lot of the, a lot of the challenges kind of the young people are facing have persisted, but the flip side of this is kind of a new openness to get mental health challenges out in the open and to address, address them in kind of a de destigmatized way. Absolutely. Thank you. And Jalen, I'm wondering if you can jump in here, too. We're now two to three years out from the worst of the COVID-19 crisis. So in what ways have you seen the pandemic continue to impact the mental health of young people? Well, you know, where I'm at right now, we have a lot of students that are just so used to being alone uh, that any kind of social interaction leads to discourse. Um, I don't know how many interventions we've had or how many uh, restorative justice circles we've had just, just off of that fact alone. Uh, from the smallest inconveniences, it seems as though the communication skills and interpersonal resolution skills are at such a loss that uh, we, we kind of come back in now doing more of the education of how to have a conversation, how to empathize, how to understand what someone else is going through, uh, and then also how to understand what your impact is. Because a lot of times they're in this this tunnel vision of, you know, it's, it's all about them and what they felt and what they experienced versus what that impact has on someone else. Um, so we're doing a lot of those social skill groups now, a lot of social skills, worksheets, activities, role plays, and, you know, just having a conversation again. Yeah, there's a lot of regression with social skills, for sure. I think even for adults, I think during the pandemic or post-pandemic. So, Jalen, I'm curious, um, you mentioned that uh, a lot of kids are, got used to being home and that that transition back to school has been very difficult. Has that caused a real rise in school avoidance, have you noticed? Yeah, it's really funny. I was just having this conversation uh, yesterday about it. Um, we have so many students that want to avoid class that now our office or classroom becomes a class and then they want to avoid that. Oh. So now I have like two kids hanging in the hallway, some in the stairwell, some in the corner of the room, one under a couch. And it's like you're all avoiding each other now. Uh, and it's like they, they kind of like are forced to interact again. And it's just so hard. And so we've done more, of, you know, I've done a lot of, you know, we just go to the classroom and we're just going to sit there and they try to like gravitate back 
to us. Like, no, 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 we're just here to support. Uh, so it's like try to help them, uh, you know, interact with their own class again and feel comfortable. But um, the, the avoidance is is definitely higher, uh, especially this year compared to last year. It seems like it's getting a little bit worse uh, as time goes on. So we're, we're you know constantly having to improve or change our our reaction to it and, and what kind of things we're doing to prevent it and be proactive. Courtney, I think there was a sense coming out of COVID that there would be kind of a ramp down maybe in the frequency and the intensity of the mental health challenges that young people were, were seeing. Is that what you're observing? Like, what are, you, what are you seeing now kind of relative to kind of where we were, you know, pre, pre-COVID? I think um, our, you know, transitioning back into the schools was a big pivot for our kiddos, um, big pivot for parents, big pivot for for. Um, teachers and, and those adjustments. And I think, you know, now that we're kind of two years in, um, I'm seeing kids resiliency of coming back to school and um, increasing understanding that being home, they had a significant decrease in their socialization skills. So I think that is one of the biggest things that I'm seeing as an increase is um, the awareness that, oh my goodness, I, you know, have lacked in, in now I have this anxiety and this fear and of communicating and reaching out. Um, I'm also seeing, you know, from COVID, you know, we were all on our screens and and at home by ourselves. So I am seeing a little bit increase in um, overstimulation and sensory overload. And I think it's just the students struggle, our brains struggle with the inability to process all that information coming in at one time, the the coming back to the classrooms, the information they're learning, the new schedules, the students, the chairs, where when we, where they were home, they didn't have all that, that information to process. Their brains didn't have all that information to process. So I am seeing a lot of that sensory overload as well. So is it your sense that it's kind of rebounding, albeit slowly? I mean, this is something I struggle with a lot, which is like, are we looking at a proverbial kind of new normal that kind of some of these kind of maladaptive behaviors that we've kind of seen with young people are now going to be kind of sticky and with us for the long term? Or on the other hand, kids are really resilient, right? And kind of as they, as they get past challenging situations, they're going to they're going to kind of go back to, to um, you know, situations that are uh, they're going to go back to maybe some of those pre-COVID kind of behaviors. Like, do you have a viewpoint on that? Like, what's your your take on it? Um, I'm hopeful that we're rebounding, truly. Um, Just being able to be in the school. And I think it's a lot of also working with the teachers and implementing those types of interventions and strategies that can help the students in those moments to kind of rest their brain, calm their brain, Um, you know, flexible workspaces, um, walks, breaks. In my school, we have 80-minute blocks. So that's a lot for a student to have to process all that information and on top of everything else that's happening in that classroom. So I do feel that there's going to be a rebound if, you know, teachers can start implementing some of this mindfulness as well as um, the interventions that ESS is able to provide in the schools. Awesome. We talk about mindfulness all the time and emotional regulation. So I, I totally hear you on that. I'm wondering for parents and teachers who are listening in our audience, what are some of the common signs and symptoms that we're seeing in the wake of this, uh, you know, the worst of the, the pandemic crisis that they would look out for? How would I know if this is something that's, you know, really atypical or this is, you know, normal, you know, teenage things or kid things that they're going through? I think my biggest tell when I speak with kids or parents that comes up is usually when it starts affecting like the biological sense. Like, are you losing sleep? Are you having a hard time eating? Like, are you 
not functioning in a way that would feel normal for an adult. But I would say as soon as it starts impacting your like day-to-day functioning, I can't sit in class and focus at all anymore. I can't have a conversation without it becoming an explosion. Like mm-hmm. those, um, I, I always say parents have that like gut feeling of like something's not right is as soon as you get that like perk up feeling of like, this doesn't feel normal, ask. It never hurts to ask. And usually even if it's not to the extent of needing mental health behavioral services right away in class, it at least gives us a radar of like, how can we support you in the meantime and kind of go shoulder to shoulder with you and support that student to be successful so they may not need it continuously. And then, Jalen, if we look at the flip side of, of that, there's things that kind of, you know, all of you as clinicians kind of observe when it comes to kind of like what we are asking our educators, uh, our educator partners kind of in the school environment to observe. Like, what, what are the top one or two things that you think educators can do to identify mental health warning signs and just to create a generally kind of safe and, and supportive environment for students, social, social, emotional wellness? That's such a fundamental part of it. And I, I believe it starts when we look at the student that we're looking at. A lot of times we gravitate as professionals, as adults, we gravitate towards the loudest, most rambunctious child. Um, a lot of times it's the quieter one, the quietest one with their head down. It seems like everything is together. Uh, the one that might not be sitting with everyone at lunch um, that might be looking to spend more time with the teacher even. Um, so I start looking for those patterns of, well, how often do you interact with people your age? Is it harder? and why. Um, and those those signs are so reflective of what they're probably prevailing inside and that secure that they had from COVID and everything else of being around only adults, being around other child is just scary. And they're not too sure how to deal with them. Got it. Um, so Courtney, I'm wondering how can parents and guardians start to engage in conversations about mental health with their kids um, without it being something that's like stigmatized or an uncomfortable conversation, or even if it is uncomfortable, how can they make it more comfortable? <laughs> Yeah, I think this is um, a pivotal um, and very such a fundamental um, aspect in the mental health world to to reduce that stigmatization. stigmatization. Um, I think that parents can just, you know, say, I'm here if you need anything and identifying somebody um, if it's not them, um, identifying somebody at the school that is able to support them in those moments and just really normalizing their feelings and providing empathy that, hey, yeah, you know, validating what they're feeling and what they're going through and just letting them know that they're not alone. Um, there's a lot of kiddos and adults out there struggling right now. And I think it's it's OK even for a parent to say, you know, sometimes I have bad days. Sometimes I'm not always my best version of myself and just being and normalizing those feelings and being real about it. Why don't we do a couple uh, of around the horn questions here? So uh, for, first one. Um, and Megan, maybe we can start with you. What what makes you most optimistic about the coming year in terms of uh, you know where where students are and the support that we're able to provide them? So kids are aware that we're on campus and they know how to access us and they know that we have a very streamlined system and because it's so open and welcoming, it's a conversation we normally have in classrooms and support with our counselors and so it isn't a scary thing to ask for that help on our campus which makes me feel really excited for that like resiliency bounce that's coming because it's not so much that it's not something everybody knows is coming. Like we know that there's going to be a reverb and being able to reapproach and support them, get back to their old normal, but it's just taking a new approach to get them there. And everybody's open and willing to like put the effort in. So it's really exciting to be a part of that change. Thanks, Megan. And Courtney, how about with you? 
Um, yeah, I think this is my second year here. So I think being here for the second year, it's definitely um, reduced the stigma. Um, everybody knows who I am. They're open to talking to me, even students who aren't mine kind of just wave hi to me in the school. Um, so I think we've seen um, a reduction in that area and the team, uh, my teachers, the administration, they're so open and so flexible and willing to try um, the interventions and the strategies and even to be a part of, of the change that they want to see in the school and the students. You know, outside of seeing my kiddos every day, uh, I, I actually really feel really excited about the uh, parent involvement. So now where a lot of parents are actually just reaching out personally. Uh, hey, I'm struggling with this. What what do I need to do? I know my kid is getting these things, but outside of the newsletters and our family sessions, you know, how do I get help? So seeing that change, especially in a, a predominantly African-American community is huge. It's, it's really beautiful. I mean, it, it's really invigorating. I'm hoping to keep, you know, touching more and more families and, and parents. And hopefully we have like a whole different city, you know, by this time next year, you know, next school year will be even better. So Jaylen, is uh, that, I'm really excited for those. Is that parent and caregiver engagement something where you've seen kind of a transition and a shift over the last kind of 12, 24 months? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of parents, even students and teachers have all said, you know, with having um, stability, you know, when it comes to clinicians, staff, that it, it's great feel. It's a great feeling. Um, you know, I'm involved with a lot of things with the school and admin now that you know, there is that extra push of, hey, let's try this. You know, a lot of teachers are coming in, hey, are there some things that I can change around how I talk to kids? Can you just sit in and help me understand how I should interact here? We do have a lot more of that community involvement now, and you know, it's a really great program now in that place. So I'm great. excited for any change. Uh, that's excellent. Well, as we begin to wrap up here, we have a question we'd like to ask all of our guests. So I'll start with you, Courtney, then we'll go Megan and Jalen. We like to know what's in your mental health toolkit. So what helps you regulate yourself? What helps you fill your cup up? Is it yoga? Is it exercise, meditation, gardening? What, what it does it for you? Um, so I'm an avid runner. I love working out, um, whether it's in the morning, sometimes I can't get to it in the morning. So I do it in the evenings. Um, I love spending time with my kiddos. That's, um, probably the most rewarding part of my day. Um, just hearing about their day and seeing them grow and their light, their, their faces light up every day. Um, I also enjoy reading. So any good books out there, I love suggestions and, um, I love walking my dog. So, um, those are some of the things that I do and lots and lots of, um, mindfulness and um, relaxation videos. Got it. Courtney, do you, have a, do you have a book recommendation for the MindBeat audience? Oh, geez. Um, I'm, I'm kind of behind in my reading, getting acclimated back into the school. Um, let me think. I read a good book over the summer, and I'm having a... Um, I love uh, Colleen. Hunt, uh, what's her last name? Uh, Colleen. I'm ha I can't think of her last name, but she's a really, really good. If you can help me with the last name, that'd be great. She's a really good writer. Hoover. We'll do, Hoover. Thank you. Colleen Hoover. There you go. Yeah. Colleen Hoover has some really fantastic books that I, was, I love. I was going to go Google Colleen, good author. <laughs> yeah. just, see what, just see what comes up, right? So just, you know, it's, yeah. still, it's still yeah. early in the morning. I, I still need to it's fill my good. cup a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah literally, literally, literally fill your cup with, yeah. you know, high yes. octane coffee. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your help on that. I yeah, appreciate it. I think it's uh, Megan. Megan, next. yeah. Um, I also am a runner, so I like to do long distance runs. Um, I have a toddler as well, so I do my runs really early in the morning. Um, and so I usually will start my day with a run if I need to do some more mileage. Like at the end of the day, if it's a heavy day, I go for a walk with my son. Um, but a lot of my time outside of the school is like trying to be around my own community. 
um, reminding myself that on the bad days, there are lots of people who love and support me is huge on my own mental health. Um, but then definitely getting my energy out as well. There are days where I've had kids that come in that are so overwhelmed or need something, but they don't want to talk about it. So we go and walk the track. And so just like getting out and doing something, um, but also reminding them that they're not by themselves is probably the most rewarding and most helpful thing in my opinion. Now, Megan, what is a define long distance? What is a, what are you like marathon, half marathon? Like, what do you enjoy doing? Definitely not a marathon runner. Um, I'm training for a half marathon right now. Cool. So usually like maybe maxing out at eight if I'm really feeling into it, but you usually try to stick around like the three mile mark. Got it. Got it. Good stuff. Jalen. I, I think for me, uh, I mean, nowhere close to running. You, you probably won't find me running um, anywhere. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, I love the gym. Uh, I love boxing. Uh, those are probably my, my top two. Um, probably the gym the most uh, is really just like my my playground, my safe zone. Uh, so I'm there. I try to get there more in the mornings, but I'm, I'm a night night owl with it. So uh, I really enjoy that. And of course, video games. You know, I, <laughs> I'm still a child at heart. I'm playing hundreds of video games at a time. And I do read a book maybe once or twice a day. Uh, no, but uh, you know, anything that just gets my mind as far away from you know the work that we do because it is so emotionally taxing uh, to kind of just you know repair some of the damage done you know from the things that you hear yeah. and experience. That so, vicarious drama, yeah. Jalen, do you have a do you have a video game recommendation for the month? Oh audience? wow, that is great. Uh, I have so many recommendations that I'll, I'll stick to just one uh, right now. Starfield, uh, it just came out. It's got a lot of my time. So got it. that's about all I got for that. <laughs> and, and Megan, I feel bad that we have not asked you to make a recommendation for the My Beat audience. Do you have a bit of pop culture, TV show, movie, <laughs> anything like that you'd like to throw out there? I'm really big on TV shows, and I can't deny I'm really repetitive with my TV shows. It's like my comfort thing. So I do a lot of Criminal Minds usually uh -huh. or True Crime stuff. Yeah, we get we get a couple of folks in the office who are huge like True Crime podcast people, and, and we definitely like do. That, so. Uh, <laughs> Well, good stuff. Um, Megan, Courtney, and Jalen, super excited to have yeah. all three of you here today. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. Thanks so much for your commentary and your insight today. And just appreciate the great work that you're doing for the kiddos that we service each and every day. Absolutely. Echo right. those Thanks sentiments. For right. Thanks for having us. Thanks, everyone. Thank Take you care. so much for having Bye, us. Everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Okay, well, why don't we uh, wrap up today by uh, going, Lane, into what has inspired us today. Do you want to you kick off? I don't know today. It's still early in the day. But I will say recently, um, I mentioned earlier that I had the privilege of, uh, at the beginning of the month of, of the school year, um, doing like five different convocations, uh, you know, opening uh, presentations for school staff. And it was just amazing to be every school I was at had, a, you know, a different way of honoring their teachers and welcoming welcome excuse me, welcoming them back. <laughs> I don't know why that was a challenge. Um, but yeah, I, I saw flowers being given out, videos from students, you know, with appreciation for their teachers. Um, it was just a really beautiful display of seeing how administrations were trying to honor their staff for the work that they've done, for the work that they will do, um, and, and just start their school years off right. So I was inspired by seeing like those beginnings at all of the schools. And I feel, I felt the excitement, you know, of, of, you know, at least when I was a kid, I really looked forward to going to school, right? Like you're laying out all your stuff the night before and, 
you know, putting all your pens and pencils in the, in the uh, school bag with your supplies and like getting excited about school. So I felt that same type of energy when I would go to these uh, different convocations. So that inspired me that, you know, I hope that they all have good school years. Cool. That's awesome. That's great. So yeah, similarly inspired by everything that's going on kind of with, with back to school. I think on a personal level, we dropped my oldest daughter off at, at college about a month ago. So that Congratulations. was a, yeah, no, and I know you went through kind of yeah. uh, this about a, about a year ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, so, yes. Uh, so that, that to me was, you know, like one of those like big, like, you know, uh, life's journey, passage mm-hmm. of time types of things. So, but really inspiring to see her kind of get settled yeah. to start to build kind of a friend group to really kind of get into her, yeah. her academics. She's majoring in like humanities. So she's like deep into kind of like these super dense kind of like, you nice. know, you know, like original texts like Plato and Virgil and, and kind of stuff like that. So, um, really cool to see her just getting kind of the full on yeah. uh, college experience and everything that I think you'll be surprised it. that you're going to see her more than you think. People are like, Oh, do you miss him? And I'm like, I, so I just dropped him off. I'm going to see him family weekend. I'm going to see him. They come home like fall break. Then they're home for like almost two months in the middle of the year after, you know, Christmas break. Then it's spring break. And then they're home again for the summer. So yeah. you're going to see her a lot more. And, than plus, you think. and plus FaceTime has changed the game. Too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you're, you know, if you're FaceTiming, you know, if not every day, mm-hmm. every other day and, and things like in that. In the beginning, it's, that yeah. falls off a yeah. little yeah. bit. It's not like you're, it's not like you're going <laughs> kind of eight weeks without actually physically seeing kind of a child, right? So, uh, we would have to have a chat about the FaceTime beforehand. Like I wouldn't just be able to catch him off guard. Like, what are you doing? Mom's calling. <laughs> that would have to be a planned phone call at this point. Uh, a lot of texting, I think, back and forth. A few okay. calls. Yeah. Got it. Guys, so it, my, my, my daughter's preferred method, I, I told her as a way to keep in touch with her, I would actually uh, uh, communicate with her on Snapchat. So that's oh. been that's been kind of an interesting experience for me because I'm like very Snapchat kind of, you know, illiterate. But uh, uh, good for I, you. I haven't tried all that. Yeah, I kind I kind of don't get it. I think there's a lot of <laughs> I think there's a lot of photos that get sent to me, which is like you know 20 percent of my daughter's face, or like a picture of like a ceiling, ceiling. tile. And I'm like, my kid will take I'm like, so I know. I'm like, so now I'll send a picture of a ceiling tile back to you, right? So it's this weird kind of like ritual type of thing and uh, and whatnot. So. How old do we sound on this podcast? We, know, we spent right? the beginning talking about like our favorite toys, toys from the eighties, and now I'm talking. I'm like I'm like shaking my fist, standing <laughs> on my lawn, talking <laughs> about you know talking about how, the best of us. how kind of I'm, I'm intimidated by Snapchat. So, but all good. Lane, good to see you, you and too. Uh, we're excited back. to we're yeah. back, baby. Try, excited yeah. to get kind of the uh, the the mind beat kind of a cycle kind of going again. Absolutely. And, uh, thanks to everybody who has uh, yeah. joined today. Please. Uh, you know, like us, share us. Uh, what else? What, what is it? Smash that subscribe. Smash button. that subscribe. Button. Oh my god! I thought we sounded old five minutes ago. We really sound old now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> look, look at Meg. He's like, nah. He's like, yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. So. All right. Well, great to see you, and uh, we'll uh, talk to all of you soon. Thanks yes. again for Thanks joining. And have a uh, great rest of your week. The MindBeat podcast is a production of Effective School Solutions. MindBeat represents the opinions of Duncan Young, Lane Whitaker, and their guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care, in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please call the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP or your local healthcare provider. 